project management is one of those things that just about all of us do in some capacity. So today I wanted to share with you some tips about how you can do that more effectively. Plus, MailChimp recently underwent a pretty major redesign with their brand identity, so I thought it'd be a good opportunity to talk to you about MailChimp as a brand and as a service, and of course, some things we can learn from it. All this and more on The Rightly Show. It's the program that helps you start and grow a brand-centric online business through the fusion of form and function. This is The Rightly Show. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Thomas McGee and this is The Rightly Show. So MailChimp underwent some pretty major redesigning of their brand identity, which just about everybody is calling a rebrand. If you know, if you've listened to a lot of the things I've created in the past, you'll know that I don't generally believe in the term rebrand because I think a a brand goes far beyond the way something looks. I think it goes into the very nature, into the very heart and core of what a brand or of what a company provides and why they do it. That aside, they have definitely done a pretty major redesign. So it, MailChimp does look completely different. They have maintained Freddy. If you're familiar with the MailChimp brand, you know that Freddy is their mascot, who's the chimp in MailChimp. Um, but there's an article over in Fast Company that outlines some of the details. It says, as companies grow up, their branding usually does too. That often means that the initial quirkiness of a startup logo fades into the slick, streamlined branding you see everywhere today, like that same sans serif font that just about every other brand has used from Google, Airbnb, and Pinterest. The marketing company MailChimp, which today is announcing a complete rebrand, could have easily taken, uh, given up the quirkiness that defined its branding as a young company the way many other giants have. Instead, with the help of a branding agency, MailChimp is doubling down. It's keeping its logo mascot, Freddy the Chimp, for starters, and is using an analog typeface from the 1920s as its new typeface and illustrating its new brand with a series of almost childlike drawings that look unpolished and rough by design. Weird branding is alive and well in the tech industry. MailChimp itself was responsible for pioneering the kind of friendly, humorous design you see everywhere in tech nowadays, which was radical when the company first launched in 2001. Perhaps uh, the most emblematic are the company's ubiquitous podcast commercials, which poked fun at its own name, MailChimp. And if you've ever seen this at these campaigns they've created in the past, they've created uh, websites and pages that outlined and listed and really they're very well designed in terms of how the pages were put together but just about you know a hundred different ways that you could say or spell MailChimp wrong which seemed to work pretty well Um, but it goes on it says their wry sense of humor is an authentic part of their brand says Bren Crick a creative director at Collins who worked on the branding they have more of a right to it than most of the tech companies that rely on humor So the article goes on, it it just kind of outlines some of the thinking behind the rebrand and the visual identity and everything else. So I think from a very, from a total visual perspective, I think that the rebrand works pretty well. I think it does a pretty good job of capturing what MailChimp was when it first came out. So if you're familiar with MailChimp as a brand early on, they were pretty much the go-to for all email marketing. If you were going to be building an email list, a lot of people trusted MailChimp. Number one, because it was pretty simple and easy to use. You could just sign up for an account. You could start building your email list. You create a quick form. And for all intents and purposes, for a very basic email form and building an email list, it was great. 
A lot of designers used it. I am a designer. So early on when I was starting to do freelancing, it worked pretty well. The other reason a lot of people used it is because it was free. So there's a lot of other email marketing services out there that you could use. You would just have to spend quite a bit on them. There was not really a free tier. And so even today, a lot of people, as they're just starting out, who are looking for a free option, still go to MailChimp. Uh, but as time went on, the approach to building a blog and email marketing in general evolved, not really at its core. I think at its core, email marketing has remained the same, meaning that you provide something in value for of value for which somebody will provide you their email address. And then over time, you email out something that's useful. So whether that's a newsletter or even just a link to your latest content or even content in and of itself within an email, that concept has remained the same. What hasn't is the different ways that people do that, some of the strategies and the tactics that people use. So for example, it's very common for a website or a blog these days to want to create a pretty wide variety of forms. So you'll want to have forms spread across your website. Maybe you offer three or four different types of eBooks, or maybe you've got a webinar you want people to be able to access or sign up for. And so you've got all these people signing up through all these different forms and everything else. But what MailChimp always struggled with from my perspective, what I noticed is that it made it difficult to do this. Because for every single uh, form that you created, you always had to create a separate email list for all of these forms. So what you ended up with, if you're trying to accomplish multiple forms for your across your website, you always ended up with like four or five different lists and then segments within those lists. And it just became a mess and it became a hassle. Then the autoresponder, you know, didn't always work properly. The forms weren't really the best formatted. You had to do a pretty significant amount of HTML hacking to get those forms to look the way that you wanted them to look. So what you always ended up with was a lot of work and a lot of headache if you were trying to get MailChimp to do the things that most people were commonly doing. So why am I bringing up this up now? Well, I think one of the issues with MailChimp is that when it first came out, it solved a lot of problems. As we see with many brands in many you know, various markets, one of the things I think MailChimp failed to do was to evolve with their customers' needs. So naturally, we had a lot of people who were looking for an easier way to accomplish these problems or accomplish these tasks, overcome these problems that we're running into. The problem of having four or five forms and as a result, having four or five lists that you had to reconcile manually was a big problem, huge headache. The bigger the site, the more subscribers, the bigger the problem. So then along came a number of other services that handled and tackled that problem. So for example, to this day, I use ConvertKit. ConvertKit is by far my favorite email marketing service because they quickly and easily solved that problem. So now I can create as many forms as I want. Every single time somebody subscribes to a form, I don't have to worry about them being duplicated in the list of, of people who are you know on my overall email list. Uh, they get tagged as, as actually filling out that form, and then I can even have that tag trigger an automation sequence, whether that's going to be a list of you know emails that get sent out over time, or whether that subscribes them to a course, or three days later gives them another ebook that they weren't expecting. Uh, MailChimp has incorporated some of those automation techniques. I just think they've been a little bit behind the power curve in terms of those 
those strategies and actually implementing them effectively as a platform. Like I said, they started out really simple, really good. A lot of people like them and trust them. People still do who are just starting out. But again, I think one of the big issues with MailChimp is that they failed to evolve with their market. I think what what ConvertKit did really well is that they first and foremost defined who their audience was, and it was primarily bloggers. And then they solved the specific problems that just about every blogger had. And so as a result, they had a nice, they had a product that a lot of people get a lot of use out of. So I am one of those people, you know, as an example. So what does this have to do with this quote unquote rebrand of MailChimp? And I think this is where, and this is why I mentioned earlier, I don't really like the term rebrand because a brand is far more than just the way something looks. Uh, it's about the way something works. I think as a result of the way that ConvertKit has created their email marketing software, their brand is stronger. They're, the people who work with them identify with that brand better because they use the product and service and it solves so many of their problems. With this big quote-unquote rebrand that MailChimp has gone through, the question I have to ask is how does this solve a problem for me as a business owner? Did you solve the issue with duplicate subscribers uh, in MailChimp? Because if not, I, new color scheme and no, you know, for as beautiful as it is, what problems does it solve for me? So, and the answer is not a whole lot. It's definitely not enough to pull me away from something like ConvertKit. So while it's all well and good to make sure that the brand identity that you create is coherent, it looks good, it fits the market that you're after, if the product that it represents isn't improving and isn't solving the problems of the people you're trying to reach, at the end of the day, it's just putting new paint over uh, an old house that doesn't necessarily represent the things that are within it. So I thought that would just be a good uh, thing to consider uh, from a purely visual design perspective, I do think that the the brand identity system is beautiful. I think it works really well. I like the color scheme, but again, I'm still using ConvertKit. So these are things that we can keep in mind as business owners, as people who are creating brands. So if you'd like to check out that article a little bit more about the MailChimp uh, visual identity change, you can go over to rightly.show slash 67. Become a Rightly subscriber and never miss a thing. Go to rightly.show slash subscribe to get the latest tools, resources, videos, and more. Best of all, it's free. rightly.show slash subscribe. Okay, so the main thing I wanted to take some time to talk about today was project management. So just about all of us manage projects in some capacity, even if you're not a project manager, or even if you don't have like a management role in the job that you do, or even if you're a freelance designer, or even at home, you know, in personal life, we all manage big tasks that we then break down into smaller ones, which is what project management really is at its core. So one of the things I wanted to do today was just kind of break down some of the tips that have really become helpful for me as I have been managing pretty large projects over the course of the last several years. And this is really, you know, just some productivity advice, but it's also just advice in terms of how you can approach a daily workflow when it comes to uh, tackling large projects. 
So for myself, I work on generally when I say project management, I'm working on a pretty big custom WordPress website project for a client. So when it comes to building a website, there is a lot of moving pieces. There's the design aspect. So there's the actual front end design of the site itself. So some of the research that goes into the brand and to the company or the person that I'm building this site for. Then there's the actual user interface, the style, the look and feel of the site itself. And then there's the, the whole next phase of the project, which has to do with actually building out the site. You know, you building something in PHP that connects with WordPress and makes all the pieces to the puzzle work on the back end so that it's an easy user experience, not only for the front end user, but also for the business owner, the person who actually has to manage and maintain and use this website to help move their business forward. So like I said, there's a lot of moving pieces. This isn't a task that gets done overnight. So there's all those different phases in the project and there's a lot of elements moving together, both with me and my team to make sure that we get from point A to point B. I think one of the biggest problems, the lot of people who manage big projects is that it's really easy to get overwhelmed, right? It's easy to look at a project as a task on a list and say, there is absolutely no way I can get that done in one day. So why is that on my list as a task? And re realistically, it should not be. By putting that on your list as a task, it just creates overwhelm and confusion. It's not something that you need to look at. So the whole idea, what we do then, is we break that project down into phases. And then those phases, depending on how complex the overall project is, we break those down into smaller tasks. So then those tasks are things that we can tackle on a daily basis. So uh, what I like to do uh, to start my day is first of all, I use Michael Hyatt's full focus planner. So if you don't already use the full focus planner, I highly recommend it. I'm gonna leave a link to a video I did or to an article uh, I did with the video a little while back about how I use the full focus planner in today's show notes. So if you'd like to check that out again, today's uh, show notes are rightly.show slash 67. But the full focus planner is what I use in tandem with my software to plan out my day. So what that looks like is I'm gonna take a look first at what I like to call bird's eye view, right? First, we need to take a look what are all of the projects that I currently have open right now? And by open, I mean things that are not completed, things that I still need to do or that other people still need to do. So I take a look at all of the open projects that I have right now. So remember, I am defining a project as a big task that's gonna take a series of little tasks to complete. So again, take a step back. I like to look at all of the projects that I have currently pending. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to get all of those projects done in a single day. But the question I ask myself is for every single one of these projects, I always go through every single one and ask the question, what is the next action? What is the next thing that has to happen to get this project done uh, or at least moving toward being done? And so I'll go through this project, now project A, and I'll say, okay, so we emailed over the comps to the client. We have not yet heard back. So what I need to do is schedule for this Friday to write a follow-up email to follow up, check in and ask any questions. So all I have to do for that project day is assign myself a task or someone else a task to do that. So that's the general idea. Then you move on to project B. Okay, what is the next step that I need to take 
in order to get this project moving forward. Okay, it looks like here I need to make some revisions to this mock-up. I'm gonna put that on my task list for today. I'm gonna assign that to me to today. I'm not gonna get too far into this, but I actually assign my tasks to specific blocks of time on my calendar uh, to make sure that I have enough time to actually get them all done. So that's, I've talked about that uh, in that full focus planner video. I actually talk a little bit about how I calendar block. So again, check that out in today's show notes if you'd like to get some more detail on that. But that's the general idea. I go through uh, and I, you know, break down what are the specific next actions for each individual project down into bite-sized tasks to move the project forward. Then those get added to the task list as well as the calendar so I can block out the specific times I have to do things. Because I think one of the big problems that a lot of us run into is that when you just have a list of tasks, sometimes at a glance, it's really difficult to know how long each of those tasks are gonna take. Plus you might have appointments on your calendar or meetings or other things that are not on your task list that take up time. So what ends up happening for a lot of us is that we reach the end of the day and we feel like we haven't gotten anything done. It was like maybe we checked off one or two things off our task list. And the reason is because we didn't take into account the other things, the outside forces outside of that task list that are preventing us from getting through that list. So by being really intentional with calendar blocking out when you're gonna do specific things, it helps alleviate that problem. Okay, so that's kind of the general idea, right? To take a step back, I always go through and look over all of the different projects that I have to do for that day. Uh, and then after I look over you know, each project and have assigned or have uh, you know, acknowledged some sort of next action for that project, that's when I circle back around prioritize all of those tasks and start, you know, going through them. The goal for me is always to get through as many of those tasks as possible, get them done as quickly as possible so that I can always move on to other things that maybe need to be done tomorrow or even the next day. So the whole idea is you're always setting yourself up in a way to be able to get things done um, ahead of schedule rather than always being behind schedule or active, you know, acting reactively as opposed to, uh, you know, proactively, which is where you're going to get more done. Okay, so that's kind of in a nutshell, how I typically tackle a project. Uh, now, the question you have to ask next is, you know, what are some practical tools that you can use to manage this? So there's two primary tools that I typically recommend that I've used pretty heavily that I recommend for uh, doing this project management process. There's a ton of them out there. So I've tested a lot of them myself, but these are the ones I recommend. The first question to ask though, is are you managing projects all by yourself or are you managing and collaborating uh, over a project with a team? Doesn't have to be your team, maybe it's a client and that client's team, but that's the first question. Do you need other people to be able to access the information relevant to this project that you're working on. So here are the two apps that I recommend. Number one, if you're working all by yourself and you have no plans or needs uh, to collaborate with anyone else, I recommend Things. Now there's a caveat, Things is an app that is only available on Mac. So I think there's some others out there that are semi, have close to the equivalent of Things, but Things by far for me has been the best app if you're working by yourself. They've got the ability to create areas and then within areas you can create projects and within projects you can create tasks and you can segment them out. But the reason I like things so much 
is because it automatically tosses things into what's called the today tab. And you can toss things in there yourself, even if they don't have a due date. So you can say, for example, this, uh, you know, proposal is due on Friday, but I want to see it on Wednesday. So you can assign a due date of Friday and then review it on Wednesday. And when Wednesday comes around, it'll automatically show up uh, in your today tab. So it's a great way to stay ahead of the game and not always be working on projects that are due the day you're working on them. Um, great tool, very powerful, really well designed, has iOS apps as well, but again, it is Mac only. And this only is going to work for you if collaboration isn't an issue. I tried to use things with a team at one point, sharing the login credentials, it did not work well. That's why I decided to use, which is going to be my recommendation. If you do have a team, I decided to use Basecamp. So there are a lot of tools out there that uh, utilize Basecamp or do project management. But in my experience, a lot of them are poorly designed in terms of how they work and overly complex. The thing I like about Basecamp is that it's got a nice mix of rich features and ease of use. So it's very simple. A lot of the people who I work with in Basecamp are able to pick up and start using it immediately. Like there's no training they have to go through. Like I literally can just give one of my clients access to a portion of a Basecamp project and they can immediately pick up and start sending me messages, reviewing files, uh, assigning tasks or assigning themselves tasks. And everybody seems to work with it really well. So I highly recommend Basecamp. Uh, feel free to let me know if you've got project management tools that have worked really well for you. I'm always on the lookout for ways to improve my productivity workflow as well. But I just wanted to share some of these things with you because it's been highly useful for me and I think it'd be highly useful for you as well. So that's what I have for you today. As always, if you're finding the show useful, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. We always do appreciate it. Until next week, go out there and create a brand that is truly rightly designed. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the program. If you found it useful, please take a quick moment to leave us a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or the medium of your choosing.